You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. Thank you for joining us here on the Neutral Zone. I'm Phil Milani, joined as always by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime. You know who I'm talking about. It's at Eric Delala. Phil, great to join you again. It never really gets old. That's true. It's always a good time here on the Neutral Zone. And oh, oh, oh man, do we have an, a show for you today. I mean, we're talking about Peter King. Talking Broncos, talking playoffs, Eric. You talking playoffs? The Peter King? Yes. NBC Sports is Peter King. Uh, you can read his column every Monday. Good morning. Good Broncos morning. country? No. Football uh, morning in America. Yeah. Too many football. Yeah, exactly. Mornings, football morning in America, NBC Sports. You nailed it. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, a little bit later on, we go in-depth with Broncos Director of Player Personnel, Matt Russell. We talk about all kinds of different things, Eric. We talk about, hey, what happened when Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb were both on the clock? Did you have any hesitation about going with Jerry Judy? Um, we talk, we go, keep going on. Back-to-back picks with, uh, at the wide receiver position. What was the thought process there? And then we dive in. I asked him uh, what his uh, – give me a name about a sleeper pick. And uh, normally I thought he was just going to hedge there. He actually named somebody. So uh, – That's we'll impressive. Yeah, we'll Always expect there. the hedge. I know. If you go to the Eric Dalala School of Hot Takes, you get right. a hedge. Yes. Always hedge. I'm used to that. But he actually was like, boom. Here's uh, some information for you. So, Wow. Well, you probably don't want to miss that if you're a Broncos fan. You do not want to miss it. I am pumped up about this show. Let's go, Eric. Let's do it. All right. Let's uh, not waste any more time. We dive right in to my conversation with Football Morning in America's own Peter Cade. Uh, Sonda, you had a chance to catch up with John Elway over the weekend. What were your main takeaways from what the Broncos were able to do in the draft? I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, to add two receivers like they added. um, I mean, I'm blown away by the difference in the Denver Broncos in 24 months. I mean, compare this to April 1, 2018 and everything they've added. You know, their entire backfield is new. Phillip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon, their quarterback is new, obviously, with Drew Locke. Their tight end is new with Noah Fan. Um, and, you know, all their wide receivers of note are new. And I think the message this year, as, uh, as Elway told me after the draft, is, you know, we got we to gotta be able to play with Kansas City. They're going to be in our division. So that's the moral of the story, I think, for their, for their draft. What do you think about all these teams trying to acquire a lot of speed here? And it seems like they're just trying to mimic what the Chiefs have been able to do. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand it. I think if you're in a division where, you know, you've got, uh, you've got the Chiefs being clearly the dominant team and the defending Super Bowl champs, 
And you've also got other teams going for receiving speed, too. I mean, look at the Raiders. Um, you know, it's either adapt or die in the NFL. And my feeling is, you know, I'm curious when teams don't try to go get speed receivers and don't try to really kind of remake uh, their receiving group, like New England and Green Bay. I have great respect for those teams, but wow, I, I don't really understand not going after speed now because that has been shown to be, I mean, look at, look at the Super Bowl last year. You know, Debo Samuel was the 36th pick in the draft a year ago. He was one of the five biggest, best players on the field in the Super Bowl. Tyreek Hill was another one of the five. And so, you know, it's pretty clear now that that is what's important today in the NFL, receiving uh, wide receiver depth and receiving speed, too. Elway said that his goal was to surround Drew Locke with as much talent as he could acquire. What do you think about the Broncos going all in with Drew Locke? I will find out. He's had, what, four or five starts. Um, you know, clearly, he is a very big question. You know, when you look at a team and how well they've done, both free agency, the draft, all that stuff, you can do as much as you want. But if the quarterback is not good enough, you're not going to win. You know, the Browns have done an incredible job building a team around Baker Mayfield. But if Baker Mayfield is not very good, they're not winning. So I kind of look at this right now and I look and see all of the sort of all the pieces that Denver has assembled. And man, I think people are sleeping a little bit on Philip Lindsay. I love this guy as a multiple versatile back. And and look, I, I mean, I like Melvin Gordon too. You have to, but my feeling is if you give me the choice of one of those two backs, I'm taking Lindsay. I think he's more explosive, and I think he's going to end up being more productive. So, But Denver really has turned into a team to watch for 2020 and beyond. And with the additions that they made during free agency, you mentioned Melvin Gordon, but also Jarrell Casey made the trade for uh, A.J. Boye. Do you think that the Broncos are going to be a playoff team next year? I think they got a real good chance, especially with the increased seven teams. If I had to pick today, I'd pick them to make the playoffs. Um, I think the West is very powerful. I think both Western divisions in the NFC and AFC are both extremely good now. You know, I look at those two divisions and I say, you tell me which team you don't think is going to be at least 500 out of those eight teams. Look at the Arizona Cardinals. Look at look at the Broncos. Um I, I think I think Denver's got a real good chance to win 10 games this year. Now, I know every year for the draft, you like to uh, check in on what one team is doing and get a peek behind the curtain. You were able to do that with the Bucks this year. It seemed like even John Elway said that they enjoyed the virtual draft and the human element of it this year. Did you find that most GMs around the league uh, felt that way? You know, I talked to eight of them between Saturday morning and Sunday night. And it was never was heard a discouraging word. Even uh, Mickey Loomis of the Saints, who had told me, I don't know, three, four weeks ago that he wished they pushed the draft back. They needed more time to gather info. Uh, he said it was great. The league did a great job. And I, I think everybody really liked the family orientation of it all. So I thought it was a big hit myself. And I thought it was something right now that not only the league needed, but America needed. Very much so. Uh, I, I know that the next big thing for the league is 
coming out with the schedule, uh, hoping for that at the beginning of May. The Broncos hoping to play a game in London. What have you heard how the NFL hopes to proceed and maybe if there are any contingency plans? I wish I knew, Bill. I don't know what they're going to do with those London games. I just don't know. Um, I think the logical thing is to put them off for a year because you're not going to be, you're probably not going to be able to have fans or you may not be able to have fans, but I wish I knew. I, I just don't know that uh, the answer to that one right now. Well, I think everybody's hoping for the best here moving forward. Uh, Peter, as we like to do, we'll let you go with uh, what kind of beer do you have stocked up in the fridge right now? I'm going easy with the Peroni right now. I, I you know, I'm not, I'm going with the lighter beers, uh, but you know, the other thing is, I think at this time of year, we're all interested in trying not to eat or drink too much because we're just in our houses so much <laughs> and we're not getting outside. But no, all is good. I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Hey, if everybody gains 10, 15 pounds, it's all the same, right? That's okay. You've got to grade us on a scale. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for your time. I hope you stay safe out there in Brooklyn. Thanks a lot, Bill. Take care. My thanks to Peter King for spending a few minutes with me. Uh, Eric, a lot of hot takes there. Uh, first of all, he says the Broncos are going to win 10 games next season. Yeah, that's what stands out most to me. 10 wins, uh, a likely playoff spot. That's all anybody should care about. You know, all these weapons are nice, and Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler and Vic Fangio's second season and what Drew Locke's going to do. All that's great, but the playoffs, that's all anybody really cares about. Yeah, I uh, said that, look, when you look at the two divisions out west in the AFC and the NFC, those are two of the better divisions of football. He thinks that maybe in the AFC West, every team's going to win eight games. So uh, it's going to be a tough division, but he does think the Broncos could get the 10 wins and a playoff berth. But uh, if you dive in a little bit more to what he was saying – he made a comparison between the Broncos and the Cleveland Browns there that I thought was a little bit interesting because last year the Browns put went out and got all these weapons for Baker Mayfield, but things didn't go really too hot for the Browns last season. They didn't make the playoffs, and uh, that's because Baker Mayfield didn't replicate what he was able to do his rookie season. And uh, now Peter King says, look, some of this pressure – is going to be on Drew Locke to uh, really be able to take a step here and deliver the ball to these guys. You can say it, Phil. Baker Mayfield did not play well last season. You can say that. Sure. He did not play as well as I thought he was going to last year. Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't matter. In that case, if you have Odo Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, uh, David Njoku, all these Nick elements Chicago. on defense, if you don't play well, at the quarterback position, none of it matters. And as we've talked about, Phil, all these weapons that Drew Locke now has, that gives him an even playing field. You know, maybe even a little bit of an advantage with all the speed he's going to have, the experience with Cortland Sutton. But he's still got to do it. If he can't make the throws, if he can't make the right decisions, uh, if he's not out there from an availability standpoint, the Broncos are not going to be good. You know, if Drew Locke does not perform at least as good as he, at least as well as he did last year, and probably better the Broncos aren't going to make the playoffs. I mean, that's just the – that's the reality of the situation. And so, while Drew Locke is probably the happiest person in the world about this draft because of all the weapons they gave him, he's got a lot of pressure now to perform. And 
I have every expectation he'll be able to live up to that because everything we've seen so far from him suggests he's the type of guy that thrives on pressure. And we heard uh, John Elway's been kind of doing some media rounds this week, Phil. He told Rich Eisen he looks at that as much as anything, how the quarterback responds when the lights come on, when there's pressure. And he said he likes that from Drew. And I think his teammates like that too. They love it, his uh, fiery personality and his competitiveness. The one question I did have for you, Eric, is that we heard so much during the draft that John Elway and Matt Russell asked Drew Locke what they th- what he thought of uh, Albert Okuwe Boonham. Uh, you know, going all in behind Drew Locke was a was a message that we heard all draft weekend. Why the shift from when we heard from John right after the season at the combine? Just a little bit of hedging there, going all in on Drew Locke, and now all of a sudden during the draft, it was like we have to build around Drew. Why? Why do you think the uh, change in messaging from those guys? It's a good question. You know, I think sometimes we really read into what John Elway says, and so at the end of the season, somebody said, "Is Drew your quarterback?" And John said, I don't really see another option. And everybody took that as like, wow, he hates Drew Locke. That's, that's just John not really like, he doesn't care necessarily about having this perfect message. And so uh, I think that pl- that comment probably got played up a little bit too much, which factors into this. But some of it, Phil, I'm sure is, you know, keeping your cards close to your vest when you're at the combine and not saying, hey, Drew's definitely our quarterback. Uh, because there were rumors that the Broncos were going to go after a, a veteran guy, maybe even Tom Brady. And so, you know, I'm sure John likes the smoke, you know, that, that keeps his true intentions clear. So that's part of it. And then I just think at this point, you know, Drew is your guy. It's clear. And, you know, maybe as things shaped up in free agency, it became more and more clear to the Broncos that Drew would be the guy. But it, it sounds like from some of the stuff we've heard, Phil, that really since that 4-1 and one end to the season – They've been riding the excitement of Drew and really believe he's the guy that can get him back to the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, they've certainly built the team around him now that gives him every opportunity to be successful next season. Uh, Eric, the other thing that Peter King touched on there was he's he's very confident that Philip Lindsay is going to have success. And uh, he was a little bit surprised that they went out and got a guy like Melvin Gordon. Yeah, that – that was an interesting comment to me. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I really think Melvin Gordon is going to bring a, an explosive element to this offense. And if you look at Pat Shermer's history, he uses, he kind of relies on one running back. You know, that's what he's done the last couple of years with Saquon Barkley. Uh, He did that when he was in Minnesota. Uh, He did that at previous stops. And so I would expect Melvin Gordon is going to get a bulk of the work especially because, one, he's kind of that first and second down back you're looking for that can break tackles. And while Phillip runs through the tackles well, he uses his speed. He doesn't break tackles. Uh, So I think Melvin would have the edge there. And then again, on third down, Melvin's a better, you know, he catches passes better out of the backfield. So, you know, it's hard to doubt Phillip Lindsay because of everything he's overcome, you know, as a high school athlete, a college athlete, and then coming to the NFL. But he's going to have to take a step in some areas of his game if he wants to, you know, push Melvin Gordon for reps and have it be closer to a, a true 50-50 split. Yeah, I just think that uh, 
there's room for both of those guys. I don't know if there needs to be necessarily such a direct comparison with both of them. I think that Philip Lindsay is going to carve out a role for himself on this team. And, you know, we've uh, seen decision makers say that speed is the name of the game now. Well, if you want to talk about speed, Philip Lindsay is one of the fastest players on the team. So I think he's going to have a role. We just need to figure what out what that role looks like. And uh, with so many playmakers now and weapons on the offensive side of the ball, you know, there's only one football. So maybe thing, maybe his numbers overall might drop a little bit. But uh, if that's for the betterment of the team, then I think that Phil Lindsay would gladly accept that. So I just think that they're going to have to figure out what his role looks like. And at the very minimum, having more depth on this roster is a good thing all across the board. So um, I, I think that the addition of Melvin Gordon has made a lot of sense. And I think that uh, they're going to figure out how to use – you can never have too many weapons. So, you know, I think that uh, just adding another uh, tool in the toolbox is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think especially – and John Elway has talked about this in a division with the Chiefs. You got to be able to keep pace, and even if that, you know, even if the guys aren't touching the ball on every snap, having the threat of them being able to do something is important. Because Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are not touching the ball on the same play, but when you have those two guys and Miko Hardman and Sammy Watkins, and you know all these guys in the backfield, and Mahomes can go to any of them on any play, that's where the the threat is. That's what stretches defenses, and so the Broncos it seems like now have the roster where they can, you know, do something similar. Uh, but again, as we mentioned, that goes back to Drew. Yeah. What, what do you think about the team starting virtual meetings this week, Eric? Uh, we know that it's not an ideal situation, especially for this Broncos team, because they're trying to learn a new offense. They're trying to put in this, this new playbook in an ideal situation. They'd be all together in a meeting room, but now they have to do this virtually. Do you think that that hurts a team like the Broncos that have some changes on the offensive side? This part doesn't hurt them, Phil. I truly believe that because um, they're in the classroom anyway, you know, whether or not you're all sitting next to each other or not. Uh, I think there might even be kind of the tendency to focus more in this setting because um, the coach can see all your faces now, you know, as opposed to having his back to you and sitting there operating the film. Um, if you're zoning out and you're the only guy, I think it's going to be very apparent. Um, you know, they're not in the building all day. So this is a short time where they're invested in football each day. So I would suspect this, this part might actually be more efficient than it is in person. Where I get more worried is as we get into the second and third phase where you can get out on the field and run through these things. That's where the reps become important because Drew can say, hey, Cortland runs this hitch to exactly this distance and then cuts back, and this is when the ball should be in the air um, on this play. And here's how, you know, we heard Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas talk about this years ago. Part of the learning curve as a rookie especially is, is figuring out where you're supposed to be in relation to somebody else, and that's what's going to be hard to do virtually. Yeah, big time. I think that uh... – I think that is going to be a huge disadvantage for a team like the Broncos that's trying to go through some change. But, you know, a lot of teams around the league are going through something similar, whether it's on the offensive side of the ball, whether it's on the defensive side of the ball. 
there's changes every year all around the league. I think that the big thing is just embracing this change, embracing the challenges that come with trying to do it virtually. And I think that uh, we've seen good attendance from the Broncos. The big thing now is to just uh, make sure that once they can get on the field at the same time, they're all on the same page and there's not a huge learning curve for some of these guys. But timing, working on routes and getting on the field, that that is going to take a while for the Broncos to all get on the same page here. Yeah, definitely. And I think the one thing that should be a positive is that we know that Drew Locke has the work ethic to get this done. You know, we, we heard last year about him staying up until early hours of the morning, uh, you know, standing there in front of the mirror, mirror, practicing play calls, recording play calls and playing them back to himself on the bus so he could hear what he sounded like in the huddle. And those are the type of characteristics that show that he's a hard worker that are going to pay off now, maybe even more so than they would under, under normal circumstances. Hopefully uh, Drew Locke and Pat Shermer have a professional Zoom account, you know, where they don't have to worry about, you know, 40 minute time limits or anything like that. They can just be on there together all night long, Eric. I think the Broncos probably splurged for the professional Zoom. I think that's a safe bet. You think they got that? I think so. I think so. And you think like, do you think like Sherman's like, hold on a second, let me share my screen. And then he's like, wait, how do you, how do you do that? I do think he's probably sharing his screen. Hopefully he's able to, hopefully he's at the point where he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten pretty good at it. So if I can do it. Yeah. If you can do it, anybody really can do it. Anybody really can do it. So. Yeah. All right, Eric, let's uh, move on and get to my conversation with Matt Russell, the Broncos director of player personnel. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things, but right off the bat, we dived into the prospects that the Broncos hope develop into something special. They think that this is going to be a great class. And uh, we start by going all in on the first round pick, Jerry Judy. He is a deceptively quick, fast receiver. Um, clearly can run routes, can clearly separate. He can do those things, which you have to do in the NFL. To me, if you can't separate in the NFL and you can't uncover, um, you're going to have a difficult time getting the ball. And uh, so, again, I think that John's thought process going into this draft um, was acquire uh, weapons for Drew, um, give Drew every opportunity to be as successful as possible. The weapons that he's got currently and then this addition of this draft class, uh, we're hopeful will, uh, will be enough to really – to really kickstart the offense. Um, and that's the game we're playing this day and age. You got to score points. Were you surprised that at 15, you had your choice between CD lamb and Jerry Judy. We, we felt like there was a chance. One of them would be there. We didn't think for any, there'd be any chance that both of them would be there, but no slight to anybody else in the draft. I think there were a lot of great players to pick from at 15. Um, but for us, it was kind of a slam dunk. And I think, you know, John knew way ahead of time that if under any circumstance something like that happened, he knew who the guy was, and that was Jerry Judy. Did you guys talk with Judy at the Combine? We did. We visited with him. He came in the room. He was one of the 45, and, and uh, again, you know, his, his impression upon us was great. Uh, with all these guys we took, um, the expectation is these guys are all going to come in and be mature, dependable, and grown up enough to come in and compete and help us. Uh, last one here on Judy, uh, just with this being one of the deepest wide receiver classes of all time, did you guys hesitate at all taking a wide receiver in the first round? 
No. Um, you know, we, we kicked around a thousand different scenarios and, and, uh, you know, we talked a lot of different things through, um, John's mindset was, was, he was very convicted and wanting to go after a receiver, go after a couple, um, acquire as many weapons as we could around Drew, you know, so it, it took us right to Judy and, and it was a really pretty easy decision, I think, for him. You went back to back wide receiver. I think that surprised some people, huh? Yeah, I mean, you don't see that too often. Um, when you look at the situation that we're in, um, you look at the state of the game today in 2020, maybe as opposed to 20 years ago, those slot type guys are valuable. Um, you know, KJ can blow the lid off. You know, we never got the time, but they give you four high four twos at the school. I'd say on a bad day, that guy's four three two or four three three. So um, it just it provides us with an incredible amount of speed, burst, special teams, value, and a guy that can play in the slot and give defenses headaches. Uh, we heard that story about uh, you guys watching Hamler take a return against Michigan. Uh, can you tell that to us? Yeah. Well, it, it, uh, so the funny thing is Vic, Vic is a defensive guy, but uh, Vic was a big driver behind uh, Hamler. And uh, Vic loved Hamler. You know, obviously you can't time a 40 on, uh, off a of tape. So there was a play where he takes it all the way to the house. So they timed it when he crossed like the, the, the 15 all the way to the opposite 45 and got a 40 out of that. And I think it was 393 is I think what Vic told us. So yeah. <laughs> that got you excited, huh? <laughs> That's your, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're going, all right, we'll take a 393 guy, Vic. Perfect. At that point, though, there was still a lot of talent on the board. I mean, uh, I think Denzel Mims was another wide receiver that was out there, some of those cornerbacks. But you were pretty confident in going with Hamler, huh? You know, the draft is like a big jigsaw puzzle, you know, and it's a matter of you target guys, you target target guys you like, you target guys you think are good fits. You know, if you don't get them where you targeted them because somebody took them sooner, then you kind of got plan B. You know, there were a lot of receivers. And – but if you if you hang out and you get too cute, you know, you get into some of the mid rounds and then all of a sudden there's not a lot of receivers. And looking at the amount of corners and, and different guys and where guys were on our board, it made sense to take them there and go after some of these other positions in some of the later rounds. Uh, you ended up going with uh, Michael Ojemudia in the third round there. A big corner, good tackler. What did you like about him? Yeah, you, you, you touched on the tackling. You know, and that's big. It's it's obviously big for every defense, but with those secondary guys, that's something that's very big for Vic. Is Vic wants sure tacklers. He doesn't want guys breaking one tackler and then going to the house, you know, because, again, you're dealing with the back end. So a lot of times that's the last line of defense. So that is an important trait for him. Uh, Ojemudia is tough. He tackles like a safety out there on the edge. He wraps. He gets guys down. He's reliable. Um, you know, again, he's a six-foot corner with long arms. He ran 4-4. He's got really good movement. Um, he'll stick his foot in the ground and transition and break up and keeps a lot of that stuff in front of him, which is important in Vic's defense. So um, felt really good about getting him in the third round. And again, not only a, a good player, but a top, top flight dude off the field. Uh, you guys took 10 players, so I don't want to go just uh, straight down the list. But <laughs> do you guys, do you have a, a favorite guy that maybe fans don't know too much about, but you're like, this guy's going to be a sleeper. You know, I'll, I'll take the last one, you know, North Dakota State. Um, you know, this kid, outside backer, um, he plays his butt off. He plays hard every snap. Um, he's got length. 
he's got ability. He comes from a smaller school. That's going to be a big jump in terms of level of comp for him. You know, guys like him, you know, you're never going to have to coach him to play hard. He can run a little bit. He's a four, six guy. He can, he can cover kicks and play teams for you. But I've always believed that high trait guys with enough ability, um, really the sky's the limit for them. They can dictate how far they go in this league because they're willing to do the things to get themselves there. So he'll be fun to watch and see where he goes, Derek. Yeah, Derek Tuska. Uh, and yep. he's learning behind a couple of uh, good guys too and Bob Miller and uh, Bradley Chubb. So that'll be interesting yep. to see him there. Uh, right before that, you took a couple of guys who had some uh, injury concerns, but obviously a lot of high upside with them too. And Justin Sternad and uh, uh, Natani Muti. Right. What do you like about their potential? Well, Natani, um, as you know, has had he's had a rough go of things. He's had a couple of Achilles. Um, he's missed a lot of time over the last couple of years. Um, the thing that was intriguing about him is when we got into the the sixth round, you know. Um, Clearly, I mean, we, we obviously have concerns medically. Every team did. That's why he was sitting there in the sixth round. But our O-line coach, Mike Munchak, really liked Natani, um, felt like he was probably a second-round type guy if he were healthy, as did most teams. Um, so the consensus out there was he was probably one of the better guards in this draft. And so, again, you get into those latter rounds, sixth round like that, and we figure, you know what, let's take a flyer, and maybe he stays healthy and we get a good player out of it. So – um, he was he was someone that we were excited about in that round. And then Sternod, Justin, was another guy we felt like could go higher. He plays a lot faster than than four seven four. He's got really good cover ability, which which we need. Um, he's a good matchup against backs. Some of these some of these players we're facing, and some of the the things that offenses do these days. So um, he's going to be a good player for us. And again, a surprise. He was a guy we had in an indie. We talked to him, visited with visited with him for for the 18 minutes you're allowed in Indy. And uh, so he was a surprise that he was there in the fifth round. We're excited to get him. And then Matt, no trades this year for you guys. Uh, first time ever, I think, with LA running the yep. show. Uh, did, was it just hard or did the board fall your way? You know, we had a couple near misses. You know, we were really close on a couple of trades and, you know, literally a pick away from consummating maybe a trade or two uh, to get get different guys and, and uh, didn't work out. But I think the way that, that John approached it, sit back, be patient, let it fall to us, um, worked very well um, for this draft. So overall, you like how things went? Yeah, I mean, you know, you never know till these guys get on the field and start performing. But, you know, again, we got a lot of good players that we targeted and a lot of good guys. And, and uh, I think we continue to bolster our locker room and bolster the culture in the locker room. You know, it's not crazy to say that we talk about the locker room. We talk about, you know, Hey, look, this guy fits well. These guys love him in the locker room. He's another piece where we can bring him in. And, and uh, so we talk about those fit, whether it's scheme fit on the field, in the locker room. We try to go through all those scenarios. It's not always perfect. We can't always bring in perfect guys. But this year in the draft, we feel really good about all these guys we're bringing in. Well, Matt, thank you uh, for taking some time to chat about the draft. Obviously, great insight there from you. So I'll let you uh, take, get some rest now. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Phil. Enjoyed it. My thanks to uh, Matt Russell for spending some time with me the other day there. A lot to unpack, uh, Eric. But one thing was clear, at least from Russell, was that the Broncos are, were all in on Jerry Judy the whole time there. Uh, I asked them, hey, when CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy were there at 15, did you have any hesitation or anything like that? 
They said, no, Judy was a slam dunk. Yeah, and that makes sense to me, Phil. I mean, he's a guy that fits in the Broncos offense because of what he can do. Uh, Lamb is kind of closer to that Cortland Sutton twin, whereas Judy is a, a route runner. Um, he's going to be ready from day one to do things that other receivers his age cannot do and have to get used to. And so for a team that's ready to win now, and I think that's one of the reasons they didn't draft a tackle, you know, in the second round instead of taking KJ Hamler is because they didn't think a tackle would be ready to replace Garrett Bowles and play right away. Uh, when you look at those factors, that's why Judy makes sense. Um, it was interesting, Phil, again, and John Elway talking this week, he said they were shocked that the Raiders took Henry Ruggs and that they never expected that. And that's probably the one move that made sure Judy would be there at 15. Yeah, we've talked about it too, Eric. I mean, we were surprised that Ruggs went first, much less production at the college level than Jerry Judy, but um, you got to project what that's going to translate to like in the pros. And obviously the Raiders like that speed from Ruggs, but the Broncos went speed in the second round going with Hamler. Eric, the one thing that Russell said that caught me off guard a little bit was that Vic Fangio is the one who was really pounding the table for KJ Hamler. Yeah, that is interesting. You know, you'd think Vic would be the type of guy that wants to go defense, wants to add to his side of the ball. But he said on several occasions, Phil, he's not the old-time, stereotypical defensive coach that wants to win games 6-3. to three. He wants to go score points and wants to put pressure. I think one reason wants to put pressure on opposing offenses, which you only really do by scoring points, and that's when his defense can really thrive. So it, it makes sense from that perspective. Uh, when you consider him wanting K.J. Hamler, but you know, perhaps uh, not what people would expect to hear the the old defensive coach pounding the table for an offensive guy. Yeah, I think that from Fangio's perspective, he knows what challenges a defense from the, uh, you know, from a defensive perspective. He knows what type of offense, what kind of players really make it difficult to defend. And I think by adding Hamler, and we heard John Elway say this too, is that it's going to really put pressure on safeties, on that safety position. They're going to have to decide if they're going to drop back and, and guard against Hamler's speed. And that's just going to open up things for Noah Fant and Albert O underneath. And um, I think there's just going to be a, so many different ways the Broncos can attack on offense. Uh, and then we heard Russell talk about uh, that story of them all watching Hamler have that uh, kickoff return against Michigan where they thought he was running on a three, nine something 40 speed, of course, with a head start, but it's pretty fast, Eric. Yeah. I've watched that play several times, Phil. And the first time I saw it, I kind of had to go back to see if it was one of those like replays where they start speeding it up to get you to the end faster. Stop it. I'm serious. You know, when they do, when it's like, that's what it looked like. Once he gets to about the about to say his own forty yard line, nobody is even close to as fast as he is. He's just gone. It did not look like that fast. Yes, it did. <laughs> have you seen it? I have seen it. I've seen it. It did seem like he maybe he hit, a, he hit a new gear uh, that we haven't seen returners get to before. He, uh, he, the, the first, like, three seconds he has the ball, he just looks like a normal speed. And then he gets to – like, once he gets to that top level and can just go, 
it's is just an entirely different gear. Um, and I think that's important because we've seen Cortland Sutton the last couple of years. He's got some passes out in open space. I think of uh, maybe the Packers game last year where he caught a ball and you'd think like, hey, maybe with elite, elite speed, you can escape down the sideline. I think Hamler's going to be able to do that if he catches a ball in space. So you're just being critical now of Cortland Sutton? Is that what you're saying? I think KJ Hamler is faster than Cortland Sutton. I don't think that's being critical. Got it. Cortland, Cortland prefers to take his hand and shove it into somebody's face mask and then them end up on the ground like he did against the Chargers. Cortland Sutton weighs twice as much as KJ Hamler. <laughs> fact check, not true. Fact, fact check, true. Uh, but, no, they have different skill sets. Cortland's skill set is a physical yards after catch guy. Hamler is going to run away from you. Yeah. And he obviously impressed coaches uh, with his speed because there's one thing about just having just track speed. There's another thing about seeing that out on the field when you've got pads on and a helmet and you can just blur. It was a blur, a white flash. How else should we describe it here? I don't, I don't love the uh, orange and blur moniker no. that's going around. I don't love it. I didn't say that. I just said blur. I know, but it was close. It was, you had a, approximately one-third of that in your, in your answer. You're the one who actually brought up orange and blur, but I... That's true. I did I, do that. I'm not a, oh! I didn't do that, so not sure what you're doing there. Um, I asked Matt Russell who his sleeper pick was, and he went ahead and named a guy. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, he says uh, uh, the defensive end out of North Dakota State he loves him. That's weird. Didn't I say that on our podcast a few days ago? Hot Scott. Didn't I say that? I think you did. I think, I, think we, I think we named sleeper picks, and I said the seventh-round pick, and then you picked a third-round pick. I said Jerry Judy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, think you, I think you picked Lloyd Cushenberry or something. <laughs> I said a game. Yeah, still a, still a day-two pick. Yeah, I followed the rules. I'm glad Matt Russell followed the rules as well. Yeah, I mean, Tuska, listen, if they're going to keep five outside linebackers, I think he's almost a lock to make it just because there's not a whole lot of competition there. If it's four, then, you know, he's going to have to battle Malik Reed. But I think sometimes scouts and people overthink the transition from FCS versus FBS. Um, you know, he still played in a bunch of playoff games, you know. I think, what, did he win four national championships in his five years there? He knows how to he win. Undefeated. He never lost a game. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Yeah, more fact checks. Maybe uh, if Ben Swanson was here, we would have some idea. But no, I think four out of five. And but he knows how to win. He's playing in high pressure games. Uh, so yeah, he's a guy that, as Russell said, he he should make the roster. I think high motor kind of guy. You know, he said that uh, you take a guy with that kind of motor, he could be. He could become whatever he wants to become in this league if you, you know, work as hard as, as his mindset is coming in, you know, and he's going to be learning behind one of the best in the league, one of the best to ever do it in Vaughn Miller. So um, very interesting there. Vaughn, uh, what do you think he'll say to him when he first meet, meets him? Like, it's dope to meet you? Yeah, it's dope. Yo, Tusco, what up, man? You got any questions? I got you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. 
come over Vaughn, to Vaughn, Vaughn loves working with the young guys, though. That is one thing that he has uh, continually done since getting here. Probably say something like, come over to Club 58. Not right now. I'll show you some DJ, DJ Vaughn the Don. Something, there was some sauce in there, too. I don't know what it is. Yeah, DJ Sauce Vaughn the Don. Yeah, DJ Sauce. Yeah. No Club 58 right now until no. the corona is fully gone. That's true. He got tested the other day, reportedly. 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 But I don't think I haven't seen the reported results of the reported test yet. It takes some time to get uh, results. So we'll see. So Erica, he has been wearing a mask. He has been wearing a mask. Yeah. Which is good. No one cared about him before he put on the mask. <laughs> exactly. Uh, any shout outs you want to get to uh, this week? Are we done with the podcast? Oh, what else did you want to talk about? That's kind of sad. I know, it is a little bit sad. No, that's okay. Too long of the interviews. That's true. Well, here, here's a good one. What else did you really like about from my interview from Matt Russell there, Eric? Like, just name anything else that you thought was really interesting uh, that you just heard you, you just heard from Matt Russell. I just thought the part where he mentioned, especially virtually, having to be on the same page as the coaches to make sure that they get what they want in the draft. That was important. And I think we saw that play out there with the selection of KJ Hamler. Did that part run in the podcast or just on DenverBroncos.com? I think you're breaking up here. <laughs> Bad signal. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, the part that uh, Eric Dalala is just talking about right now can be found on DenverBroncos.com. Yeah, exactly. Or on the Broncos YouTube page. What if, what if you want to hear from Matt Russell, but like you don't want to watch anything? You could read about it, too. Eric, what did he tell you about Jerry Judy? Uh, just kind of an interesting look at their scouting process and talked about Francie Jourdain, who first went to Alabama, uh, Nick Shirelli, followed up there, uh, kind of went from the very beginning all the way to draft day on how they found Judy. An excellent feature that I've read on DenverBroncos.com or on the Broncos official mobile 365 app. Exactly. You can, uh, you can also read it there too. So, but I'm not sure why you'd want to read something when you could just watch Matt Russell talk about Jerry Judy, and then you could see Jerry Judy highlights at the same exact time. Yeah, that's true. And is this Matt Russell interview, is this all in one place where I can find it? On the Broncos official YouTube page. Perfect. Yes. Uh, Great. All in the same spot. So one right. click and you're right there. Tremendous. Any shout outs, uh, Eric? Um, Chris Manis, of course. Well, yeah. Other, but, uh, you know, we just, we just uh, did a podcast. This is more, uh, it's kind of like your bonus neutral zone for the week. Bonus shout out. <laughs> That's true. So, I uh, I would just say you know thanks to uh, both Peter King and Matt Russell for taking some time to uh, chat Broncos there and then give some draft insight. I always find it's really interesting to hear from Matt Russell because we hear from John Elway all the time. Matt Russell is there working with scouts too, and uh, getting his perspective on things just changes things up a little bit and. Uh, it's always a good time to hear from uh, Matt. Yeah, no, he's always uh, – we don't get to hear from him too often, but always nice when we do. Yeah, so uh, we'll be back again with another podcast 
next week as the Broncos move more into uh, the virtual season. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed this. Maybe you're making some dinner right now. Maybe you're just uh, getting a, a home workout in. Eric, I know that you've been doing push-ups. You've been running. Of course. You know, tip-top shape. Uh, Peter King said he's just been drinking Peronis. He said that he's not. I did uh, hear, yeah, I did hear yeah, that. He's gonna, yeah, take it easy. So uh, I don't know, maybe some Bud Lights for you, Eric. Official uh, beer of the neutral zone. Yeah, and if somebody wanted to buy some Bud Light, like where's a good place to go for that? Uh, uh, King Supers. Could yeah. be nice. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, for Eric Dalala and Phil Milani, you've been listening to The Neutral Zone.